0: Hey, hey, Water Coolians, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. Today on the show, we are joined by a new friend, Daniel Prusselides, host of the Long Way Podcast, a podcast that focuses on short episodes with long perspectives to talk about issues dealing with free speech. As Daniel joins us from Canada, I take a figurative stroll north to talk about what could potentially become a major free speech violation from Canada's proposed amendments, Bill C-10. And and I would imagine many of us, at least being able to look at, you know, the analytics of the podcast, live in countries or regions where free speech is a human right. You know, just the fact that you're able to listen to me express that freedom right now and throughout every episode definitely speaks to that. But it's tough to imagine what living under that censorship could be. And so, for instance, the everyday Canadian may not believe something like Bill C-10 is important, its <laughs> its language sure makes it seem like it's, you know, hot shit, I'm from Harvard rocket science, but it could set a very, very dangerous precedence for years to come. And as Daniel and I discuss, when it comes to censorship in, say, China, for example, censorship in a region often leaks out and it impacts more than just the people of that region. You know, governments being given the power to censor its people is a very, 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 very slippery slope. As I say in the episode, you know, the current administration may not do anything with it, but all it takes is that new guy or new gal somewhere down the line to say, hey, we can start censoring our people. And I think we should. Uh, And and something both Water Cooler Talk and The Long Way find in common, and one of the reasons I loved having Daniel on the, the podcast, is having these types of conversations to allow for a better understanding of these very important, but sometimes often confusing topics. And so, to not waste another second of your time, and of course, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk episode 63 titled... Better Conversations with Daniel Persalides. Enjoy! This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. It's, it's not a Water Cooler Talk episode if there's not some technical difficulties. I think, you know what? I, I don't know if you're a superstitious person, but usually I have my notes on the left side and the video on the right side, but I flipped it today. I think that might have caused some stress. You, you <laughs> sound like a hockey goalie.
1: They're, they're notoriously <laughs> superstitious.
0: Well, Danny, are you ready to uh, jump into an episode of Water Cooler Talk and start sure. talking about what's going on in the world? Good to go. All right. This first news story is from the National Post, April 28th, 2021. Justin Trudeau and the CRTC are coming for your cat videos. Once hailed as a stronghold of free speech, the internet is increasingly falling under the grip of state censors worldwide. China is purging dissent, India silencing its critics, and Canada's liberals recently made changes to a bill that will allow authorities to control the content that people post to sites like YouTube and TikTok. For those unaware, Canada's current ruling party is the Liberal Party. Following Chinese director Chloe Zhao's Oscar win, social media in China was flooded with congratulatory messages. Within hours, Chinese censors put in the work to scrub most of those comments from the internet due to unflattering statements she had made in the past about her homeland. But that's China. A conversation for later in the episode. Unfortunately, the democratic world can no longer look down on dictatorships like China because some governments are increasingly taking pages from their authoritarian playbook, using the internet to keep a big brother watchful eye on their own populations and censoring opinions that are critical to those in power. And then along comes Canada. Recently, the Liberal-Dominated Heritage Committee, which is one of 16 standing committees that study and review legislation before it becomes official, voted to remove a clause from Bill C-10 what you put in layman's terms is a bill that amends Canada's current broadcasting regulation act to include things like online streaming platforms But the clause would have exempted videos posted to sites like YouTube and TikTok from falling under those same regulations by the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission, the CRTC. According to those who introduced the bill, Bill C-10's intent is to give the CRTC the ability to regulate quote giant streaming platforms or social media companies and ensure they contribute to and promote Canadian content. In the absence of the clause that was removed, Canadian users who upload videos to social media or streaming platforms would technically not be considered broadcasters, but their content would still be subjugated to the same regulation broadcasters, such as in TV and radio, are. What form that regulation will take is still anyone's guess, as the bill does not currently include any details of what that regulation may look like, but if... The bill is passed. It gives the CRTC the power to fill in those details at a later date, thus giving the Canadian federal government the power to control everything from videos of animals to young people dancing in the street. It's a safe bet that any government that starts out by regulating something as innocuous as a cat video or a teen dancing to the latest trend could eventually expand to encompassing political speech. In fact, Canada's current broadcasting regulations are a direct result of the government trying to use their power to silence their critics. Even if the CRTC chose not to use its newfound powers right away, it's still a potentially dangerous precedent. The world has seen firsthand how the Chinese government uses its control over the internet to silence its critics, and how democracies like India are using their laws to limit political speech. Giving similar power to Canadian officials could be a recipe for disaster. So as listeners know, with every news article that appears on the show, everything I just said is my own summary of the contents of said article. In complete transparency with this article, it did take me a few days to truly understand the ins and outs of what is occurring in Canada with Bill C-10. So, listener, if you want a, a really good, more detailed look at the situation, I highly recommend listening to a recent episode Daniel released on his podcast, The Long Way, titled Free Speech and Broadcast Regulations. So as uh, we kind of talked about, you have this uh, illustrious career in journalism, 16 years of experience in Canada. What was that experience like in terms of how the freedoms around uh, expression, speech, journalism changed in that time? That's an interesting question, but I never had in any of those
1: years any concern about free speech, not the slightest, never worried about it, never worried about it from the perspective of my employer never worried about it from the perspective of government. It wouldn't even concern wouldn't have crossed my mind to worry about it in terms of government. It was just a given. It was just the, the normal way you did things. Now that doesn't mean that anyone just said anything that they wanted, right? There were still journalistic principles. That you followed. There were still, you know, uh, there was a, a code of ethics for for journalists, that sort of thing. Not, mm-hmm. not to say that everyone necessarily adheres to it or that it's the same for everybody. <laughs> but, you know, these things, these things exist. You know, in my time as a journalist, I can't
0: say that it was really ever an issue. I believe Canada has a charter of rights, which is similar to our Bill of Rights here in the US. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And so one of those rights give you that freedom of expression.
1: Well, the, the Canadian charter recognizes uh, free speech as a fundamental right. Mm-hmm. That's a right that we have by virtue of being people. You know, and it it recognizes that right. That right preexists. Actually, it preexists the 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 charter. It didn't have to be on paper in us for for us to have that freedom. That's the freedom we have as 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 people. And the the constitutional documents simply recognize that.
0: And so, I mean, when you get a bill like Bill C ten that conflicts with that statement, you know, should Canadians, you know, not just content creators, should they be concerned? Well, I mean, there is a lot of concern. About this, I think we need to be.
1: I think we need to be very wary as as people. That's my personal opinion. That um, you know, when we get into the the questions of regulation and and government control of what people are posting online or what people are are saying uh, via social media, whether it's a, a cat video or something else. You know, the cat videos themselves, they're not really the issue. Yes, <laughs> The issue is um, whether regulators are going to be playing a role in what gets posted, in what gets approved, in what becomes discoverable via YouTube, all those sorts of questions, and what criteria they're going to place there. Which, by the way, are still quite vague. So there are multiple problems with that, because when you've got that kind of regulation, it can have, as Michael Geist, who was a guest on on my own podcast, he's a University of Ottawa professor, and he's a very noted free speech advocate uh, and a legal expert on top of that. He, he made a, a really great point. He said, in, in a country like Canada, I'm paraphrasing here, you don't speak with permission of the state. Mm-hmm. And, and he's right about that. And we haven't been speaking with permission of the state all of these years. And I'm not suggesting that it would become that way uh, tomorrow if the bill were passed and uh, became law today but the the potential most certainly is there
0: and the direction is there and i think that's what's concerning in a democratic world you should not have to ask your government to speak freely you know i'm Firmly in the camp, which I hope most people are in this camp, that humans should have the option to express themselves freely wherever they are in the world. Obviously, with that, you know, as you talked about journalistic integrity, you know, your words do have consequences and you can't just say whatever you want to say whatever you want. But then to the aspect of opinions, you know, I have opinions, you have opinions, some of those opinions, you know, may connect some of those opinions may not connect. If we live in a world where we're only allowed to have one consistent opinion, my way or the highway, you cr- you crush free expression. You we basically stop becoming humans. We become this this mindless workforce. You know, I'm I'm a firm believer that utopias are basically impossible, as close to as impossible. We're we're not uh here at water cooler talk, we don't deal in absolutes. We're not the Sith, but <laughs> I do believe it's it's very hard to get to that idea of utopia because one of the things about a utopia is you give up your individualism. You know, my utopia may look different than your utopia looks, and it's just not possible to get to that point where we can all believe in the same thing and be happy about it and, and enjoy what our lives are becoming. Like you said, it's not just the cat videos. It could be something greater. You know, maybe this administration that's currently in power, maybe they don't use this power if this bill is passed for something bad, but putting it in place and another administration comes along that says, well, hey, this is kind of an interesting outlook that we could use to kind of control our nation a bit more Then, yeah, eventually someone is going to use that inch to take a mile or to the meter system. I think it's like 2.5 centimeters to... (laughs) Like one and a half kilometers, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The exact give an inch and take a mile conversion to the metric system is give two point five four centimeters and take one point six one kilometers. But if you give people that option, eventually someone is going to take it.
1: I mean, I think that's the I think that's the danger here. It's not a mark of a healthy society where we're so fearful of each other. And I think I, I had read this somewhere else too, where. I think the, the the hidden implication in a bill like Bill C-10 is that the government doesn't trust perhaps the people with their right to speak, to speak freely. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, I think we're also witnessing uh, the people not really trusting the government with the power to, uh, t- to govern that. There's a real breakdown of trust. And that's problematic because you, you need to have that trust sort of flowing in both ways in order to have you know a healthier society, a more flourishing society, and one that works better, and one that can accommodate all our differences, we're never all going to be the same.
0: And that trust doesn't break down overnight. No, this is uh, years and years of you know broken promises. And I know specifically um, just from what I read. So maybe you can correct me on this, but the the Liberal Party has kind of has a different look than it did when it got elected in 2015 as it does today, as far as like transparency and, you know, Ah. uh, public goods and stuff of that nature? Well, I mean, I don't want to get
1: uh, overly partisan. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I I will say this, that there are, you know, promises that have been broken uh, around things like transparency uh, or even access to information laws. I think you might call them freedom of information in the U.S., where these things were supposed to be fixed. These things are supposed to be getting better. They're not getting better. They're getting worse. You know, there, there are things like that. I, I, I think one of the things that worries me is the tone of conversation often when we disagree. Disagreement is going to happen. Disagreement is healthy. It's okay. You know, we don't all have to agree on the same thing. In in some of the rhetoric around Bill C ten, for example, I know one of the responses from the Prime Minister in Canada is to dismiss critics of the bill as wearing tinfoil hats. <laughs> and that's you know, I, I get it that in the House of Commons sometimes the rhetoric runs hot and, and, and you're upset with with your political opponents. But you know, that kind of comment about What I think are some pretty reasonable concerns from a very wide array of people that don't all fall on the same side of the political spectrum, I think that should make any government- I don't care what stripe of government. It should make any Mm -hmm. government pause.
0: Uh, Once you start villainizing somebody who disagrees with you and you try to uh, silence that individual or that group or that movement, that becomes an issue. It it really does. And looking at Bill C-10, trying to kind of understand both sides and why this bill would be put in place, why it shouldn't be put in place, I understand wanting to – uh, have pride in the content that your country creates you know wanting to promote Canadian content but as a content creator myself and maybe you feel similar or maybe you might feel different but I want the option to create the best possible content I don't want to have to be limited by I think in Canada, For something to be on TV, it has to have like 50, 55% of the content like written, produced by a Canadian citizen. According to the CRTC, Canadian content on Canadian broadcasting stations must have 50% of their daily content be of Canadian origin, aka having Canadian creators, writers, producers, etc. I mean, this is just a broad generalization of just content in general and uh, the support of content, but your content should be able to stand alone. Like to kind of wrap that up in, in a bow, I understand the reasoning for this, but I mostly agree with the fact that this is a option of controlling that expression
1: yeah i mean i'm like like i say i'm not a, i'm not an expert on the canadian content rules i do know that there are rules for what is considered canadian content and radio stations for example that play music have to play a certain percentage that come from you know canadian musicians or that are considered canadian mm-hmm. but i mean we we watch plenty of american shows here for example that are you know 0% Canadian content uh, and I don't know where Star Trek falls because you know William Shatner and Jimmy Dewan were both Canadian but yeah. in any <laughs> case. so I I mean yeah there are there are content rules and that sort of thing but I you, you've just pointed at really what the problem is and Michael Geist and others have, have pointed this out as well that the the law this new law this new bill anyway is in a sense treating content creators you me, uh, anyone else who might post something on YouTube or somewhere else, in the same way that they would perhaps uh, deal with the CBC or a major broadcaster. Yes, it's not the same thing, and you can't you can't treat these things the same way. I, I think that's a legitimate point and a legitimate criticism of the bill. But the other issue is when it comes to really harmful things on the internet, you know, images of, of, of child sexual abuse or something like that. Mm -hmm. And these things, these things are out there and, um, or really hateful comments. There are laws to deal with that sort of thing already. Yet the broadcast regulator doesn't get into that sort of thing, That there are criminal laws to deal with those things already. Whatever way we, we, we look at this thing, it just seems like Bill C-10 is a, huge overreach.
0: Yeah, and even, you know, I know some of the supporters explain it as to help with copyright, but they're, like you said, there's already laws in place for copyright. You know, there's already laws in place for hate speech, for child pornography. So why are you taking out this uh, exclusion that says I can post this stuff on things like YouTube or TikTok or Instagram and all these other uh, uh, social media platforms? You know, it's kind of a, a sense to me, it feels like Canada's push for more nationalism. Do you, do you see this as a – or what could be a potential push for Canadian nationalism? Well, I mean it depends what you mean by, by nationalism.
1: Um, nationalism in Canada sometimes is synonymous with anti-Americanism. We we often well, I think
0: nationalism just in general is that devotion to the interest of one's own nation. Right. When we have the Winter Olympics, you guys up north are our enemies, you know. We're we're rooting for at least our women to beat you in the sport you invented.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't say luck. the same
0: about the men. It's been a while, but
1: <laughs> um look, I think when it comes to culture, I'm not sure about you know nationalism and, and and all those sorts of things because that's it's become quite a quite a loaded term mm-hmm. but here's what i can tell you about about culture culture i think is at least canadian culture is what canadians themselves express you know i'm not i'm not saying for a moment that government can't come alongside and support cultural industries or or that sort of thing lord knows that has happened a lot in canada but canadian culture is what canadians themselves express yep. so when i go outside the house and i see kids who are playing street hockey they're expressing canadian culture no one had to tell them to do that no one had to give them orders no one even had to subsidize it they just did it because that's sort of the the culture that comes and and expresses itself when canadians are constantly apologizing although that's a that's a it's a bit of a myth but you know it's it's part of culture and and character that sort of works its way and expresses itself uh, quite naturally. And I, I think that's a healthier view of what culture is, mm, rather yes. than we have to we need we need to e- e- express ourselves and we need to defend ourselves against some kind of uh, foreign influence, and um, you know, make sure we don't lose. Our Canadian uh, identity. I I'm not a, a big fan of taking that defensive a posture. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that you know there's never any such thing as a as a cultural threat. I just think we need to be we just don't need to be that enthusiastic and uh, concerned about all kinds of f- f- foreign influences as if there
0: constantly is some kind of threat <laughs> hanging over our heads. We're trying to we're trying to take over Canada, Daniel. Don't you know this? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I love I love the way you describe that. I love the way you look at that. That's a, such a beautiful way of looking at that. You know, obviously solidarity is important, but you know I'm a big believer that culture is the culmination of our shared experiences, and you know we don't necessarily need. I think Rogers Telecommunications is like the big company out there. We don't need them shoving content down our face that says, "Look at us, we're Canada," or "Be America, be America." It's like. Uh, no, I get it. I, I can go outside and I can play baseball or I mean, we love hockey here in Minnesota. So yeah. it's, it's hard to kind of discern between uh, the US and Canada when I literally live in Minnesota, which, like I said, is little Canada. Uh, but where you live really defines your culture. And that's why, you know, we have these borders and we have these different ways of living because we're defined by where we live and the people we surround ourselves with and the cultures that we create, you know, the traditions that we create and the stories that we share. And it's important that that's the focus, because as you said, that's a lot healthier than Rogers or a bell, I believe is another one trying to shove nationalism and the solidarity down our throat.
1: Let me give you another example of what I what I would call sort of a quintessential Canadian cultural thing. Again, that didn't require anyone to develop it. It just it just happens naturally. I grew up in Toronto and my my friends I remember in high school, we were quite a motley crew. I had I had sort of five close friends. One was of an American background. Two were from Chinese background, Hong Kong and the Philippines. Chinese from the Philippines, I mean. One was of Guyanese background, and one was of Greek extraction, like me. You know, that's what growing up in Canada is for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's how it is growing up in Toronto. We all had, in, a, in, in different ways, kind of an, an immigrant experience, uh, or at least our parents did. And you know what? It was It was just a great thing, and we all got along. Regardless of where we came from,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it, it wasn't something you had to overthink. You weren't overthinking it; it was just a, a natural ability of living where you lived and being surrounded by, you know, it sounds like a, a good range of friends. Yeah,
1: it, it was um, it was fun, and it was it was fun to have some friend you go over to his house. You're having curry, and and it was good. And <laughs> uh, other friends, you're eating <laughs> real Chinese food, um, mm-hmm. and. They were having Greek food at my place.
0: <laughs> well, I would like to welcome to the show Daniel Prusilides, host of the Long Way Podcast, a podcast that focuses on short episodes with long perspectives on building the common good through having thoughtful, not reactionary conversations. Daniel, welcome to Water Cooler Talk. Thank you. It's great to be here. As mentioned, uh, the Long Way focuses on being thoughtful, not reactionary. Why was that important to you when kind of developing the, the theme of the show and what the show is going to create?
1: I think... In large measure, it's because the the show is almost a year old. It came out and was developed in a time of extreme political polarization, and both in Canada and the United States, or perhaps more in the U.S. than in Canada. But we're not that far behind, to be honest. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, one of the one of the goals of the show is to kind of fill in some of the gaps that might be left by the news media and the way that they may cover any any given issue. So, I, A, I don't want a podcast that's just constantly dumping on media and saying, you didn't do this. That's fake news. I, I'm not interested in that. I'm also not interested in sort of angry, overly energetic and deliberately nastily provocative talk either. I don't think that's helpful and it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Taking all of that together what essentially we're trying to do is have better conversations about real issues uh, that you will read about or hear about in the in the media, uh, but perhaps in a way that the media won't cover.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that's important. That's always been a similar premise to this show is having those conversations. Like I said, normalizing these types of conversations. You know, Bill C-10, it's a confusing bill. It took <laughs> – yeah. like I read through that bill and I was like – I still don't understand it, really, but this is a bill that is going to affect a lot of people, and you need to be aware of you know what's going on in, in your world, not just the small things that happen within your own home, but the things that happen outside of that home, the things that are responsible for making your home being able to be your home. You know, we,
1: we've, we've talked a, lot, a, a little bit about the need to be informed, to be well-informed, and, mm-hmm. and that's a role that I think the media play, and they still play. Uh, today, free speech is a part of being able to be well-informed. Without free speech, it, it is extremely difficult to be well-informed yes. because, you know, controlled speech is, um, I don't know how else you want to put it, maybe controlled speech is essentially propaganda.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, you know, as we'll talk more about China, you know, I was talking to a few people that live over in China and they said, who knows when the Americans will learn this, but we here in China, we know the news is just propaganda. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I can see why they would say that in uh, in in China. I wouldn't go so far in in North America at all, or even in no. In obviously,
0: Europe. It, it, you know, it's not as bad. But I like the aspect of what you're doing with the show and creating healthier conversations because you're right. We're in very. Divisive times, it feels like. We definitely feel it here in the US with Minnesota with the George Floyd situation. We're in very divisive times. A lot of people are angry. Whatever I've done my work in, whether it be Roar for Change, when you know I worked with human wildlife conflict throughout the world and now into water cooler talk, is people are angry and people have rights to the right to be angry and people have the right to be passionate. But you have to direct that passion, that anger in the right directions. You can't just be angry for anger's sake and then expect things to change. You have to have collected conversations that are healthy for open debates and you know open conversations because that's how real change comes, by using that passion, by using that anger to really start that kind of fire, using that anger to be that kindling, to start a controlled fire, to be more precise, a controlled fire to be able to really change things. And if, you know, we go into these conversations and we're angry about it and like we kind of talked about if someone disagrees with you, you they become a villain and you want to do whatever you can to silence them, then nothing really changes for the better for humanity. It might become better for certain subsections of humanity, but the goal is always the betterment of the entirety of humanity. You've touched on
1: I think several important points there. One is passion, one is justified or righteous anger and one is rage those are three different things passion is 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 good in the sense i think that you that you mean it and that it, that it you know you care deeply about something you want to do something about it there's nothing wrong with that that's that's quite positive as far as i'm concerned and justified or or righteous anger that's you know anger at a, at an injustice no one's saying that we shouldn't be angry at things that are unjust mm-hmm. and we should want to change things that are unjust and we should look for and be able to debate ways to to address that injustice and we should be able to even disagree about how we address that injustice. Rage is a little different uh or maybe maybe I should say it's it's very different because rage moves from anger at the injustice to just it's unproductive. It doesn't really invite anyone into a conversation. It doesn't, it's, other than sort of arresting people's uh, attention, at least for a moment, it, it doesn't develop any further. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go into some, some kind of productive direction or encourage some kind of particular change. It it's tends just, to
0: lead to violence and destruction. Right.
1: Imagine road rage, right? What's wrong with, with road rage? It's one thing to be angry that someone cuts you off and it's quite another to now tailgate them and Take them off the freeway, and you know, <laughs> have a fist fight on the side of the road. Like that's mindless. Mm-hmm. So, so I I think it's being able to sort of triangulate those and put everything in its place, and sort of act in a in a passionate and 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 uh, correct way to justified anger that we end up with,
0: with I think, something that's positive. And people lead by example. You know, people, if they see the type of content that you're releasing, this good quality content that has good quality, meaningful conversations that have good, using good a lot, but have a good impact on the world, then they're going to say, hey, we can have these types of conversations. We don't have to revert to these types of conversations that we've been having. We can have a greater understanding of what a conversation can be and the impact that conversation can have.
1: One of the ways that we've tried to describe that on The Long Way is by expressing sort of three values, I guess. Mm-hmm. Living together well, respecting our many differences, and protecting the vulnerable. When you have those three things, I think it's helpful to having better, better conversations. Uh, because we're not all the same, and that's okay. And we don't all agree, and that too is okay. You know, respecting differences means exactly what it sounds like. It doesn't mean that we everything is homogenized. And it doesn't mean that we sort of just say, well, you're okay, I'm okay, and great. No, there's there's an actual exchange of ideas. If you're actually respecting someone, you're listening to them. And if they're respecting you, they're also listening to you. Mm -hmm. I'm not
0: describing a a utopia. Uh, I'm just describing, I
1: think, a healthy conversation for (laughs) crying out loud.
0: <laughs> and a healthy society. But no, I think that's a, a perfect transition into our next segment. Before we move on, myself and Water Cooler Talk are in a mission to help get back to different parts of the community and those who help build our show to where it stands today. For each new episode of the podcast, the guests will bring with them a charity of their choice to represent. On the day of their episode going live, Water Cooler Talk will give a donation to that charity in honor of the guest. Daniel, your charity of choice for today's episode is the Ottawa Mission. Do you mind explaining a bit about what they do and their significance in providing wholesome opportunities to homeless individuals?
1: Sure. I mean, the honor- Ottawa Mission is an organization that I I hold in quite high regard. They provide really great services for a lot of people who need help in Ottawa um, because uh, you know they're they're located right downtown. And aside from a quite large uh, meal program that they provide, they also provide essentials uh, for people who do live on the street or who are living in some kind of shelter. They also provide housing. And I think what's really important is they try to help as many people as possible escape that life on the street or escape that life on the margins, Mm -hmm. where they may be sort of going back and forth between some sort of shelter and on the street and, and, and various situations. They will provide work training. Uh, and try to get people into uh, a career of sorts or a, a job of sorts, so that they can uh, eventually support themselves. So they provide, you know, educational and training opportunities as well to the to the people that they come in contact with. And I think that's just um, that's just so important. If I could add just one more thing, back before COVID, the office that I that I work in for for Cardus is in downtown Ottawa. So I would often pass by both the Ottawa mission and the clients of the Ottawa mission so I see both the need for their services and I see the benefit mm-hmm. of their services I, I would see it every day so that's why I say they're 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 close to my heart and I really like the the values that they express.
0: Yeah. You know, as uh, someone with myself, with a lot of firsthand experience working, you know, within the homeless uh, communities, and especially within the men of the homeless communities, you know, a lot of men tend to be homeless. Uh, single men tend to be homeless. Being able to support a cause that puts struggling individuals first is is something I will always stand by. So I appreciate you being able to bring them on the show and share them. Oh, thank you. I, I, I want to thank you. Thank you for the
1: opportunity. You know, when I... When you, when you invited me on, I thought great we'll 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 do this and then when I saw that uh, I could choose a charity, i said yeah well I, i'm I'm pretty sure I know
0: which one I want to choose i will I will always take that ego boost of uh, supporting a charity and giving them <laughs> a platform it always it always makes me feel good and it always makes me look better to the world <laughs> uh, I'm getting humility, yeah, all right, Daniel, are you ready to jump into our final news episode or For sure. N- not news episode news article of the the episode. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is from Variety Digital News April 13th, 2021. China launches hotline to report online comments that quote "distort history" or quote deny its cultural excellence. China's internet regulator, the Cyberspace Administration of China, CAC, in preparation for the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party's founding, launched a hotline for citizens to report online comments that defame the ruling party and its approved description of history. The new hotline will enable Chinese internet users to stop the spread of, quote, mistaken opinions and create a quote, good public opinion atmosphere to pave the way for the July 1st historic celebration. A partial notice from the CAC states, for a while now, some people with ulterior motives have spread historically nihilistic false statements online, maliciously distorting, slandering, and denying party, national, and military history in an attempt to confuse people's thinking. The CAC notice continues, we hope that most internet users will play an active role in supervising society, and enthusiastically reporting harmful information. The move comes in the wake of a recent firestorm of online criticism sparked by nationalist social media users who dug up years old and often since deleted remarks seems slanderous to China from public figures and brands. In the past month, such incidents have engulfed everyone from newly minted Oscar winner Chloe Zhao to Chinese tennis champ Li Na, and brands from Adidas to H&M, with flame wars punished to an ever-higher profile by celebrity participation. Except, of course, if you're the, uh, <laughs> the NBA. Uh, with the new hotline that includes a party-sponsored website and app, Chinese internet users can flex similar muscles to those outspoken against China, but they have direct government support. The hotline will accept four types of complaints, distortions of history, attack on the party's leadership, ideology, principles, or policies, the defamation of heroes and martyrs, and denials of the excellence of Chinese culture, revolutionary culture, and advanced socialist culture. The CAC release notice did not explain what punishments would be in store for violators. China already frequently detains and jails people for online speech deemed politically inappropriate. Recently, activist Joshua Wong was sentenced to an additional 10 years. Joshua Wong was sentenced to an additional 10 months, not 10 years. To add to his original 18th month sentence for previous illegal assembly convictions for attending a candlelight vigil, and remember of the Tiananmen Square Massacre last year. The massacre didn't happen last year, the vigil happened last year. Early in the year, authorities also introduced new causes stating that those who, quote, insult the country's national heroes and martyrs can be sentenced to up to three years in Prison—that's insane. China's internet is one of the most censored in the world. It bans most foreign news outlets, social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, and search engines like Google. And in the wake of one of the country's biggest political events in recent history, Chinese censors are more active and alert than ever. So obviously, there there are uh, large differences and uh, level different levels of severity. But how do you view China's censorship in comparison to what's happening? In Canada, or what could happen in Canada?
1: Well, I, I think they are miles, if I sh- maybe maybe even worlds apart. Yes, in in you know levels of magnitude and, mm-hmm. and scale here. My first reaction when I see the Chinese government setting up a snitch line for <laughs> people that defame the Communist Party, <laughs> it's a little like setting up a snitch line for people who tell the truth about the Communist Party, like. Mm-hmm. It- I, I don't I don't understand that that's it uh it kind of it kind of blows my mind we're not there in Canada we've identified some some dangerous trends in in bill c10 yeah but uh you know this this sort of thing that's going on in China I mean that is that's pretty special, and I don't mean that in a good way.
0: No, this is this is to an extreme. Or you know, Russia is trying to make it illegal to compare Putin to Hitler. Like these are instances of, like you said, very extreme censorship.
1: I don't want to get overly philosophical about it. I, I've I've observed, I think, a, a key difference in the quality of, I guess, government or the way government approaches these these issues in a in a healthy society in a flourishing society you don't have only government and you don't have only the market you have the government for sure you have the market for sure each playing its role and then you have a series of building blocks of society that also play their role independent of government and independent of of the market in a in a situation like china my observation, not being an expert, I, I will admit, my observation is you're seeing a whole lot of government and you're not seeing a whole lot of the other aspects of society being able to play their role. it's it's government setting the tone on what you can say, on what you can do, on how you can worship, all of those all of those sorts of things. I, I'm not giving it's not some grand revelation that that's a very unhealthy. Uh, approach to to say the least <laughs> yes yeah the the point is that when we look at our own society now and we look at sort of the trends and ways that laws might change here I think we need to look at them from the perspective of are they actually going to help us flourish as a society are they going to keep all those building blocks between the market and government Mm -hmm. in a healthy state, or are they going to damage those building blocks? Because if they do, if they're going to start limiting in unjustified ways all of those sorts of social institutions- then I think
0: we have a problem there, and and we have to nip it in the bud. It's a problem that's not contained in China. It's going to seep its way out into other nations. And something that I've always thought about about being vocal about the Chinese government is: if I travel to China, I can get arrested at the airport for things I've said in a podcast that I'm recording in my basement in Minnesota. And and that's a that's an issue. That's a global issue that needs to be talked more about because that's rightfully so scary. I'm in a nation where I have the the freedom of expression to, you know, say the Chinese government is not doing great things. They're trying to, in, in terms of censoring people, you know, what they're doing with the Uyghurs, what they did with the Tibetans, you know, these are not great things. And if you're just walking into the, the gates of hell with someone and you're not questioning the reason why, I mean, you're just a mindless drone. Journalism, it's You know about being able to ask those questions. Why? Why are you doing this? If you can't criticize a government, if you can't say you know Xi looks like Winnie the Pooh bear, what's stopping them from just completely going into that uh, totalitarianism? Totalitarianism. Totalitarianism. You know, uh, regime.
1: Let me actually give you a little bit of an irony here. Canada's federal government recently introduced its annual budget. I say annual with a grain of salt because they didn't introduce one for a couple of years because of COVID. But anyway, mm-hmm. they, they just did it in, in in April. And one of the items in that budget is a four million dollars for a memorial to the victims of communism. Interesting. That's going to be built in Ottawa. You know we're 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 talking about all these things. We're worried about internet censorship in Canada, but at the same time, we've got four million dollars for this memorial. Now, the memorial, I think, is a is a fantastic idea, and it was a previous government that got the ball rolling on that. But it, it it's it's happening, and it's just one of those one of those ironies that you that you see in life. On on the one hand, we've got concerns about in, potential internet censorship, and on the other hand, we do recognize that there are victims of communism historically
0: and and I would argue even today just kind of more so generalizing it how should nations be viewing the teaching of their history? You know, what's that honesty level? Because, you know, if I I try to sell you a car, for example, I know there's things that are wrong with this car, but I have a motive to sell this car because I may need to pay your bill or something. I'm not going to say, hey, yeah, you know, Daniel, the transmission is shot and by next week, that car is going to be a cloud of smoke. And so with history and specifically public funded schools where, you know, the government has the responsibility to balance good and bad. You know, if you teach too much bad, no one wants to live in your country. But if you teach too much good, you know, you fall into those traps of totalitarianism, nailed it on that. And so to me, one of the the bigger philosophical quandaries of our time and in a time with mass information on a global scale like we have becomes how honest are we going to be about the teachings of our history to the next generation? Well, now that's a big question.
1: It's all, it's become a bigger issue, uh, especially recently. You know, history is, it's always a question and always an issue that engenders a lot of debate Mm -hmm. uh, and disagreement. So, I mean, I would go back to some of the earlier things that we said, and you, you need to be able to have healthy discussions of that, recognizing historical injustices mm-hmm. that that have happened. Uh, you know, they've happened in the United States. They have happened in Canada too. Nasty things uh, have happened uh, in this country uh, against all kinds of people. And I think we would do well to recognize them. Where I think it becomes a little dangerous, maybe more than a little dangerous in Canada or the United States, even in Europe, is when the only thing that really you you concentrate on is the injustices as if that's the only thing that has happened in you know your country's history i think it's much healthier to have a balanced view of history that recognizes injustices doesn't paper them over or dismiss them actually acknowledges them but also acknowledges you know positive things that have happened through history and and positive contributions of various people, and maybe even recognizes that certain people can have made positive contributions on the one hand and done historically terrible things uh on the other. That's, you know, a more accurate and realistic view of history or even of notable, you know, Canadian figures in history. You're you're not gonna have perfect people right in, in your history. You're just you just don't. We're we're people. We're imperfect by nature. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think just historically you need to acknowledge that. Otherwise, you end up in the situation uh like China where the government doesn't want you to be even able to say an an, an accurate statement about uh the Communist Party or the what what they would term as you know, the great heroes of uh, of Mao's revolution, or the situation in, in, in Turkey, for example, where, you know, you can go to prison, and journalists have, for insulting the republic, uh, whatever that means, uh, or uh, I don't know that you would go to prison for it, but, you know, you deny the Armenian genocide, you deny other genocides that have happened, like the genocides of the Pontian Greeks or the Assyrians. Uh, in Turkey, like all of these sorts of issues, they're not theoretical. They're 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 really quite real. And what what happens in uh, in China is just kind of just one example of things we've seen all all, all over the world. And,
0: and once you really start trying to change history you're trying to change your own history you know the best example of history is you have your history because you learn from that history and you learn not to repeat that history but once you start changing your history i mean you're just bound by the the laws of attractions that and laws of opposites and you know the pull and the the push of the universe that once you start trying to change history you're probably going to repeat a lot of that history that you wanted to change. You have a situation like in China where the population of China, you know, they don't like what's going on and they're going to revolt and have revolutions because this is unjust. And guess what? These same things have been happening in the history of China that they're trying to hide because it doesn't look good for them. Well, guess what? It's going to continue to happen. And I think you brought up a good point about the fact that, you know, we look at history, we look at historical figures, specifically within our own nations, with kind of rose-colored glasses in a way, but they were not perfect humans. Situations throughout history, all these people are in- inherently flawed. You know, I'm someone who I love the exploits of Alexander the Great, but he also genocide a lot of people. I think he did a good job of trying to incorporate cultures into his kingdom, but he killed a lot of people. He did a lot of bad things. Genghis Khan, one of the greatest military generals of all time, killed a lot of people. It's always you always have to be aware when speaking about history and teaching history is that you have to find that good balance. And you know, like you said, it comes from having good conversation, good debate, having open conversation to really find that balance between what is good about your country and what is bad about your country. Because we are here as a country, whether it be uh, the US, whether it be Canada, whether it be China, because of that history. And we need to have respect for that history, because a lot of bad things have happened in US history. There's been a lot of genocide, a lot of oppression, but there's also been a lot of good things that have got us to this point. And it's very important that you respect both of those things and learn from those things. So, like I said, you don't repeat them. Yeah. I
1: mean, learning from history is, is obviously very important. And I think there's a danger in, in I don't know how to put it exactly, but maybe playing with history. Mm. Um, and I'm not even talking about what China is doing, but say even in, in a North American context, uh, every country has its own history, its own development, right? And uh, certain people who helped make things happen the way that they happened. You know, I'm not sure that Canada would be the same country it is today if Sir John A. MacDonald was not... The first prime minister, if Confederation and the leadership that he provided for that didn't happen in the way that it happened, perhaps even in the years that it happened, uh, there's a railroad that got built right across the country, never mind that there was a financial scandal
0: associated with it. The scandal mentioned was the Pacific Scandal of 1873, in which 150 members of Canada's conservative government accepted bribes by private interest groups to influence the bidding for the national rail contract, which eventually collapsed and was replaced by the operation that would go on to build the Canadian Pacific Railway. But it got built and it had a nation-building effect. All of those
1: sorts of things, they don't take away from the fact that Sir Johnny MacDonald was a flawed Individual, I, I mentioned the financial scandal, but he was also mm-hmm. very involved in residential schools, which harmed a lot of people in Canada, indigenous people in Canada. The
0: idea of residential schools was to remove indigenous children from the influence of their own culture and try to assimilate them into the dominant Canadian culture to, quote, kill the Indian in the child. You have to take the bad with the good
1: and just have a, a, a healthier view of that history and an understanding of it, I get a little worried though, when the concern about the injustices of the past go so high and uh, so so high that they reach the point where you undermine the very basis uh, of the country that exists and you you question its entire legitimacy that to me is is worrying i i don't i don't think we need to go that far in order to recognize and even deal with the injustices of the past
0: yeah that's i i love the way you look at that because it is important to look at those injustices as what they were what they uh, the good the bad what they provided the country but you don't have to go like you don't have to act like you're going back in time to fix those things in the present
1: yeah going back to fix those things is you know, perhaps nice. And you create more issues. Yeah. It's, 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 it's nice in theory and it makes for good sci-fi. <laughs> um, you know, some of the, the best sci-fi stories or, or, or movies I've seen involve, you know, time travel and trying to correct some sort of historical in, injustice. But in any case, it's uh, you, you can't go back. Mm-hmm. You can't go back. You can write about going back, but you can't go
0: back. Unless you're China, which... <laughs>
1: <laughs> unless, or or unless, you know, you end up in some kind of dystopian novel where you just rewrite history and rewrite newspaper stories, <laughs> um, like in, in 1984.
0: Well, Daniel, thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. Listeners, if you would like to support Daniel's podcast, The Long Way, as well as supporting his work with the Canadian think tank Cardus. You can do so by following him on Twitter at D-Pros, spelled D-P-R-O-U-S-S, visiting thelongway.ca because it is a Canadian website to learn more about his podcast or by directly connecting with Cardus on Instagram and Facebook at Cardus.ca. And of course, to make it easier for you, those links will be included in the description of this episode and on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. You know, as you've been mentioning a, a few times here, Daniel, you're a huge sci-fi fan. Can you give me the the uh, an obscure sci-fi movie that more people need to watch?
1: I don't know about obscure. I would say maybe one that perhaps people are not that familiar with is one called Colossus, the Forbin Project. It's from the 1970s. And it involves two supercomputers, one in Washington, one in Moscow. And they each control sort of their country's um, nuclear arsenal. But these computers then take over and get into a conversation with each other. And interesting things happen. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, <laughs> but it is a fabulous movie. Really, really entertaining. And i um, I just I, – it's uh, it's it's one of the great stories, I think, in, uh, in sci-fi, at least from the 1970s.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Sounds like a fun movie night. All right. As always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Watercooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet, hosted by myself and guest hosted today by Daniel, where we take these strangest the and most interesting real-life news stories from around the world and just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. Daniel, we are now to my favorite portion of the show where I hand off the show to you. I give you hosting duties uh to close out the show however you see fit. So Daniel, the floor is yours. Thank
1: you, Adam. Uh it's been just such a pleasure to be with you on on Water Cooler. I have never participated in uh, you know, a conversation quite like this before. Well, not a not a recorded one. Many sorts of conversations like this, you know, in coffee shops back in the old days when we were allowed to do that sort of thing or you know back in my university days but uh i've just really appreciated the the opportunity to uh to to be here with you and to discuss i think what are some some really important things uh free speech is important to me and i think we need to guard it you know to, to to guard it with uh with enthusiasm and with passion uh, as you mentioned, and uh, history is another topic that's, you know, obviously important to you. It's important to me. And it's another one that I think we need to just have a healthier approach toward. And um, I, I hope we're able to have better conversations uh, in the future about all these kinds of issues in Canada, in the United States, anywhere around the world. Let disagreement flourish, but let Better conversation, lead the way.
0: Well, I, I 100% appreciate you being able to be on the show today, Daniel. It was a wonderful conversation. I love when you can have more of these kind of philosophical conversations where it's not so much, you know, the need to know facts and to need to know figures and all of those things. You know, obviously we had things here and there, but I love just the being able to touch upon those broader ideas and, you know, have a good conversation that doesn't need to be cemented in what we know, but rather by what we think. And I think that helps create better conversations as well. So thank you very much for being able to come on the podcast today. Thank you, anytime. Well, until next time, listeners, peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not, because they're real. Please enjoy a short clip from Daniel's podcast. The long way. The included clip is from the longer conversation Daniel has with Michael Geis titled Free Speech and Broadcast Regulations.
1: There are a lot of regulations and requirements that go on broadcasters that you or I or
2: most people, I think, would probably have trouble trying to meet if we actually had to. I think that's right. And and uh, and that's not, again, that's not to say that there isn't a role for regulation in this space, but uh, this attempt to regulate all of this speech, I think, really does raise serious concerns. I think the compliance issues are significant. I think we could see some of the large sites that host user-generated content say that if this is the kind of legal framework that Canada wants to implement and adopt, it's, of course, free to do so, but they aren't going to permit Canadian users uh, on their site or at least not permit them to post content on their site because they simply can't comply effectively with these new sets of rules. It's costly, it's uh, exceptionally complicated, and I think most importantly, it's just strictly unnecessary and may well be unconstitutional. I guess one of the areas where I would worry a little bit, maybe
1: more than a little bit, would be among sort of the panoply of requirements that the CRTC has for broadcast content one that uh, that some have pointed out is the need to safeguard and enrich the cultural, political, and economic fabric of Canada. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I would imagine that if it's defined fairly broadly, that it's not really a problem. But if it isn't, and if it's defined uh, narrowly, I could see that requirement, even if YouTube and others were to you know, go along with it, I could see that kind of a requirement killing a whole lot of debate, discussion, even healthy democratic disagreement because of some sort of narrow definition of what it is that safeguards and enriches that you know, cultural, political, and economic fabric.
2: Yeah, no, listen, I think this throws open a myriad of regulatory possibilities. That's clear. The CRTC's powers are extensive. I think that in a world where you had a closed system of licensed broadcasters, the argument would be that made a whole lot of sense. You wanted to ensure you had a broadcast regulator with appropriate levels of powers uh, because spectrum was limited. The number of channels in effect were limited. It's a it was a privilege to uh, have one of those licenses. And so ensuring that the public interest and the public good was met was sort of part of the bargain so to speak and for having being one of the privileged few to have these licenses and have access to the spectrum that's obviously not the world we live in anymore people can listen to this podcast in the same way they can listen to anything else on the radio or um or watch something uh, on a conventional television or have it streamed through a different different kinds of services now the government would like you to believe that the that dictates or suggests that what we need are the same rules for everyone, and that are, that is the same conventional broadcast rules. Now, I would say they're wrong. That's, again, not to say that there are no rules applied online, but to say that we're going to adopt the same kinds of rules, invest in the regulator, the same kind of power over what has shifted from A relatively small number of speakers, so to speak, who had this kind of access now to millions and millions of Canadians who are themselves actively engaged in this kind of speech and to have the government turn around and say a program is a program is a program. It doesn't matter if it is the newscast on a main uh, television channel or a podcast uh, or even just a TikTok video All of these are programs. All of these are subject to regulation. Frankly, it's just crazy.